Hey, what are you at? Josh here. I hope you're going well. My guest today is James Eggleston, who is a foundation member of local slash Victorian slash regional slash national band, The Northern Folk, who I've heard a lot about. And he's also the co-creator of the By the Banks Music Festival. And that is actually happening in Albury. This will be the third year. Today, mostly that's what we talk about, as well as some stuff about the Northern Folk, how that band came to be and how they grew and evolved, etc. That was really fascinating stuff. But I wanted to get all the details about the festival up front now, all in one place. So you can kind of use this as a place to come back to if you need to, to get all the details. By the Bank 2019, it's coming up on November the 30th at Willow Bank in Albury, which is some awesome spot, yeah? It couldn't honestly be a cooler place to have a festival. When I heard that that's where it was, I was like, wow, that is good. That's going to be a winner. So I won't talk about the lineup. That will become more obvious as the conversation today with James progresses. But just some more details for the day. Gates open at 11.30am. Tickets are on sale now at buythebanks.com.au. There's going to be a dedicated kids space with circus activities and workshops for the kids. The team also have planned an Indigenous workshop, a woodworking workshop. And from what I could gather from the conversation with James, multiple yoga workshops or at least one very special yoga workshop so there's going to be yoga that should be cool music yoga music yoga that seems pretty sweet and it's not really just a music festival which is what i took out of this interview you're going to hear it's more a day of culture with the option to be as relaxing or as energy filled as you choose to make it and a really safe environment and a fantastic place once again in Willow Bank. So buythebanks.com.au, you can buy tickets there, confirm all the details, refresh everything I've just talked about. And if you turn up to the festival and you see James, let him know you heard him on the podcast. Righto, here we go. Welcome, James. Welcome to the apparently reverberate studio, which <laughs> had me worried because I've spent so much time getting rid of all of the reverb, but I think we've established there's no reverb. No, all good. Yeah, nice setup in here. Yeah, thank you, sir. So this will probably be the first time that I've done a show for Punching Sideways anyway, where the, my guest will go into your musical endeavours, etc. but you're actually here for a definite reason that's happening on a definite date. So if I didn't get to that in the intro, which I'm going to do later, do you want to tell us basically a little bit of who you are, and but maybe more so why you're here today and why this is coming out? Of course. Uh, yeah. So um, as well as playing in the Northern Folk and uh, being the founder of that band about six years ago here in Albury, we have set up a local music festival, which is coming out on November 30 um, for the third year. So yeah. Really looking forward to it. Obviously, here to talk a bit about that, but keen to have a chat as well. And excellent, uh, yeah, give a bit of background about that and the band and whatever it is you you might want to know about. So, yep. yeah, so by the Banks Music Festival kicked off 2017 in its first year. 
we loved putting it together. had a lot of fun with it. Got a lot of our mates to come and perform. It went so well that we decided to do it a second year. And honestly, after the first round, it was we did take a risk uh, putting it all together. Kind of put the financial risk on our own shoulders uh, to see how it would go. Uh, ended up going really well. A lot of the community seemed to really support it. So we went again uh, last year and enjoyed it again so much that we're we're back for a third time. Okay, there's two things there. One is, did we catch that it's called By the Banks? I'm not sure if we covered that, but the festival for everyone listening is called By the Banks. Third year, you also said you enjoyed it. <laughs> As a former venue manager back in the day, booking most of the touring bands in Albury and having spoken to and met concert promoters over the last 20 years. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say they enjoyed putting on a music festival. Well, there are there's 11 months of sitting at a computer replying to emails and making phone calls and nothing manifests itself and people cancel and someone yep. pulls out and something's wrong and something costs too much money. Yeah. I wouldn't say, oh, maybe I wouldn't use the word enjoyable in that aspect. Um, the day was gratifying there. Even even the weeks leading up to it. I mean, obviously there's stress, especially the first year, just wondering how it would go. And you, you do play over in your mind how much, there's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, but we did, we were confident that it was going to be good. We just needed people to support it, you know? So we were confident with the bands. We were confident with the sound. We were confident with the venue. I mean, Willowbank is the greatest place to hold a music festival. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people comment on that. And we were really lucky. I mean, through the band, we just had links to a lot of people and contacts with a lot of people that do really good work. And so we just brought in the people that we wanted, you know, friends of ours that we wanted to support uh, and that we knew that they would suit what we were trying to achieve. And we had a pretty clear vision, but there was definitely some stress and some nerves around, you know, if if no one turns up. <laughs> it is really good fun. I mean, Willowbank is a beautiful patch of grass, but it is a patch of grass and we take... Uh, a week or so to, to turn it into a festival. And uh, that's really good fun. It brings a lot of people together, you know, um, a lot of people that support what we're doing come down and help out and get involved. And the actual day, both times, has run pretty smoothly. Both years in the setup, there's been some pretty pretty awful weather, uh, which often, often adds to the stress. So leading up to the actual day? Yeah. Last year we had on the Friday, we had a huge storm roll through. Fortunately, it came through on the Friday and not the Saturday. The year before, I don't know if you remember, but the, a week before our event was the first Great Australian Beer Festival. Yeah. Um, some friends of ours run that and it rained. Yeah, <laughs> so I remember. That was that torrential. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the days around that day as well. And, uh, you know, we were, we'd just gotten on site to try and start setting up. So, but the actual day is a lot of fun. Just showing off those friends of ours and the music and seeing people that we've known for a long time. This is the first chance they get to come to something like this. And that's why we do it, honestly. <laughs> Excellent. So no one turns up to this particular podcast expecting a direct chronology of things. So we might just table the By the Banks talk for one second and talk maybe more specifically about the location of the actual event. So I got this quote. This is from the Border Mail on the 1st of August. I don't normally do the quote thing on this show, but I have on other shows. So, <laughs> quote, Willow Bank is a perfect intimate setting and has a nice community feel, end quote. So what is it about Willow Bank? People, this show mostly goes to people in this region, Wagga through to Wangaratta and obviously predominantly Aubrey For anyone who's not familiar with Willow Bank, just from the way you sat up in your seat there, James, when you started talking about it, it must have some kind of magic about it. 
Because you're not the first person who's told me they've wanted to do something there, and you obviously have. Yeah, well, the first time we did anything was uh, launching the Northern Folk's first album. And we could only have 250 people. That was the capacity for the night. But one of the best parts of it is, like I said, it's just a patch of grass right by the river. But it's only maybe six minutes from Dean Street, the main street of Aubrey. But it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. So anyone who is there is there for the same reason, you know. So you mentioned that community feel. So uh, anyone who comes down has made the effort to come along to what you're putting on. And you you can create whatever you want with the space. So putting a festival on down there, it's only, yeah, six to ten minutes from the middle of the town. But once you get there, you feel like the only people around you are people all there for the same reason. Yeah. And it's all festival goers. And everyone you see there is working there or volunteering or performing uh, or coming along. And we really set it up as an open space. There's no fences and locked doors that we keep the artist behind or VIP areas where some people can sit that other people can't sit. We don't do any of that. It's just all open uh, for anyone. Anyone can go anywhere. The artists walk in amongst the patrons and uh, it's, you know, they participate in some of the workshops and stuff. You'll see someone on stage and an hour later they'll be doing yoga at the yoga (laughs) workshop. So yeah. It is a pretty, yeah, unique space like that. And we really wanted to make a festival that had a different feel to events that people would be used to around here. So did you did you have a, any kind of, obviously that wasn't ex- extemporaneous. You didn't just think, let's create a, a festival that looks exactly like this and feels like this. Did you ever go somewhere or have a, an experience, I'm assuming maybe more as a band, that made you think this is the type of thing we could probably bring to the this area the first idea of the festival came a year before it actually happened when a friend of mine and I were driving back from a small festival Happy Wanderer which is down near Benalla and it's been going for about six years now and that really had the community feel and we'd been to Swagger Music Festival as well just out in Wondilagong unfortunately it's not going at the moment but hopefully it will come back but we'd been I mean, they were the two that really showed us that you could do it, that it was just a bunch of mates, a group of musos just putting something on and booking their friends to come and play. But we'd been to a lot of different festivals and we started realising, particularly I I felt like I was noticing what I really liked about some festivals and what I didn't like and what they could do better and ideas that we could use for ourselves. And we'd been sitting on this idea. I mean, we had done our own music event, so we set all that up and that gave us a good idea about what worked and what didn't and uh yeah from running our own events in the band and because there's 10 of us in the band half the time we had to create our own events was that just because of the lack of suitability to some lineups or yeah and just we're such a pain to book you know (laughs) yeah um there was one new year's where we wanted to do something so we just organized a a show with four local bands and us at on a friend's farm and it was amazing it was fantastic and yeah it was through those things that we started getting an idea of what might work and, and what wouldn't work and what it should look like and things to focus on and things like being able to have kids there is a huge thing. And FRL was another festival we went to down near El Dorado. Okay. And that, that was one where we really saw that like getting families and kids in would be a huge, uh, a huge benefit. So, yeah, we definitely drew inspiration from a lot of places and we were lucky to have that opportunity, I guess, to go to – different places and be able to see what worked and i'm assuming also the unique perspective of both an artist that has performed in the folk and indie music scene and also as a punter like that can give you an interesting perspective on 
well, what's going to be good for the artist, but also what's going to be best for someone who's there to appreciate the artist or to enjoy themselves. Like, Because I know just in the past, when you mentioned that there wasn't an area for the band, so to speak, as a progressive rock musician that has $20,000 worth of equipment I'm loading in, that to begin with sounded a little bit alien to me for a few seconds there until I thought, oh yeah, I could see how that would be pretty cool. <laughs> As a punter, more so than anything, yeah. to know that I could be sitting right next to where the band has decided to, or one of the acts has decided to, you know, set themselves up for the day or whatever. Well, you mentioned in there, it's a punter's view and also the artist's view. So we really had two things that we wanted to do. We, we wanted to make it a perfect experience for the patrons. So we, we considered a lot about what people coming from Aubrey that maybe had never been to a music festival, how we could present like, hey, there's this world out here of independent folk music that you might not be getting an opportunity to be a part of, um, plus attracting the regular folk crowd. So people who travel around all over Australia just following the festivals. Yep. But then we also wanted to make it a festival that bands would like playing it. So we were able to come about it from those two avenues, what would work for the people attending and what what will also make it a festival that bands want to come back and play at year after year. So again, we were lucky just to fall into an opportunity where we got to see both of those sides, I guess. I mean, I don't really have all that much familiarity with the types of the music genre, I guess, is probably not something that's massively familiar to me as far as seeing it live in the festival environment, even just things like dedicated areas. Like some, some artists would expect that. So were you doing a lot of filtering to make sure you had a really nice coalescence of people that were going to be on board as artists? Because, I mean, if the artists aren't on board, that's kind of where everything could flow out from. If they happen to have a negative, you know, vibe about them on the day or they're not re- they don't look happy or anything, that kind of flows out into the crowd regardless of genre. Or am I just high, am I just is my brain just getting away from me? No, so, because no. I don't because I don't understand any music as well or indie folk as much as I should. No, you're definitely uh, definitely touching on a, an important point because we are lucky in that we're quite a small festival that we, in a way, can pick and choose suitable acts to the kind of vision that we have. Even to the point of you know who do we want to play first or who do we want to play in the middle of the afternoon and. We we had to consider that. I've been to both. I've been to a festival that is amazing for the artists. They'll look after you incredibly well. They'll give you everything you want. They'll look after you. But if you don't have anyone to play to or if the if the patrons aren't happy, unfortunately it doesn't work. And we've also I've also been to ones where they look after the patrons really well. You know, it might be free to everyone. It might be that, uh, yeah, people have VIP access everywhere and, but then they don't look after the artists well enough and all the artists are upset. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to consider both, but we also had the luxury of booking people that we'd seen and a lot of the artists we'd seen in more than one setting. So we'd seen them on an ideal stage in front of a good crowd. We'd seen them on an ideal stage in front of a bad crowd. We'd seen them on a terrible stage in front of an amazing crowd. And um, we were lucky enough to say to a lot of them, this is especially in the first year, we were able to say to a lot of them, hey, look, this is our first crack at this. This is what we're looking to do. Um, what do you think? <laughs> do you want to come and be a part of it? Yeah. And there, and there had to be a, a process of deciding whether a, an act was going to be suitable because you're right, if they are upset or if they get annoyed at something very small and they represent, they're the face of us really because people were putting trust in 
acts that we'd chosen to present here. So if some of them are angry or upset or or do something that the crowd doesn't agree with, any of that kind of stuff, um, it isn't a good look. And yeah, we really were considerate about who we were going to book so that it would be a good representation and so that uh, the artists or the patrons coming along could see the options that are out there that are good artists but also good people. Like We just we want to book good people that we're friends with that we know will support what we're doing. Hey, just in case you weren't sick enough of hearing my voice, this is an ad spot. And this ad spot could be your ad spot for your band, project, Instagram, store, whatever. Your local thing that's happening in the Wagga, Albury, Wangaratta surrounding regions this is a spot that could be dedicated to that idea or that concept or that thing. So as we don't have anybody yet, and this is just a quote-unquote example, I'm going to promote my other podcast just to show you what it could be. My other show is called Tips of the Slung. It's a short-form depository, I guess, for the jokes that I'm creating that maybe aren't funny enough or just a little bit too obscure or a bit too out of the realm of what else I'm talking about on stage at the moment to stay in my stand-up act, I'm putting some of those on the internet in a different form. So there's episodes about doctors and dead foxes and people doing dabs on motorcycles and concepts like doing Safeway the safe way. I've got a lot of thoughts on how people should operate at the supermarket. All those things can be found at tipsoftheslung.com and each episode of that is shorter than this ad or thereabouts. So it's real short. If you're looking for a feel, maybe start with the one about noodle bowls and puffer jackets. That I think is the most popular one. Okay, tipsoftheslung.com. This could be your ad spot. Hit me up at Joshua C. Liston on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and we'll jump back in now with James from the By the Banks Music Festival. Okay, cheers. So just before we maybe go back to the the festival itself and talk more about what's specifically happening this year that's maybe different or it's bigger and better, so to speak. Do you mind if we talk a little bit of band life? Let's do it. <laughs> so you've already prefaced this story, James, by saying there's 10 members of the Northern Folk. Has there always been 10 members? And in that amount of people, given that you came, I think, through the end of high school into that band, there may have been people going off to different parts of their life, whether university in different places and all that. Has there been a lot of lineup turnover or would people who saw you originally still recognize the the group? They would still recognize us. There's been there has been some turnover, um fairly minimal. We, we call s- we call that natural turnover in the biz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it would say it would be natural turnover. Yeah. Um we started off with six of us. And yeah, that was back in 2012, so kind of coming out of high school, a lot of us have been playing music in other acts. Uh, some together and others. I've I'd just seen some of the guys play and I was doing a little bit of stuff on my own and, and was bored of that, didn't want to do that anymore. So decided to ask these guys who I knew were quite good if they just wanted to come and put something together for the fun of it. And I think that's how a lot of bands start. People just looking for something to do and want to play music with other people. And yeah, started as six, grew to Eight pretty quickly after that, uh, brought in a clarinetist and another singer. And again, it was just, there was no vision of the logistics of it. And oh, eight people is going to be harder than six. It was just like, you you like music. You're quite good. Come and, come and jam. And we've got this gig. Do you want to play it? And uh, 
that then grew to 10 and we played as 10 with an original lineup for quite a long time and then added a keyboard player and have been through, there were kind of two guys that were just in Aubrey at the time for a minimal period who just kind of came for the fun of it and played keyboard and we quite liked it. So when both of them, when I went back to whatever it was they were doing at the time, we asked a guy to come and join full time. So that was 11, played as 11 piece and probably a lot of people would still know us as the 11 piece because that was just about the time when we were still living in Aubrey and playing here quite a lot. Moved down to Melbourne's, continued as an 11 piece and then, yeah, one of the guys, it's just, you know, people get to their point in life where they have to decide, you know, kids and career or keep mucking around with some friends and jumping in a van and traveling, playing folk festivals. <laughs> yeah. So 10 of us, 10 of us are still doing that. You know, there's another uh, baby on the way for one of the band members. So, you know, we'll see how that goes, but uh, we, we do it because we love it. It's fun. We love playing music. We, we love playing music with each other as well. Um, which is, I think, impressive after this amount of time to still have that kind of tight-knit feel. But there's a, a natural course of some of the people in the band are incredible solo performers, and they're discovering that, and okay. other people are discovering that, and people are starting to pursue their own kind of creative pursuits outside of the band. And that, yeah, I think is a natural course, and it's, I think they're some of the best songwriters, young songwriters in Australia. Yeah. And I would never want them to hold that back for the band. Like for a while, the band has been enough of a creative outlet for the people in the band. But now that they are finding their feet as their solo performers, I think we're going to see a lot more of individual members starting to uh, reach out kind of to their own solo careers. And I support that wholeheartedly. And the band will still continue when it can. It'll just be a balance of who's doing what and... And we all fill in for each other and, you know, play play on each other's recordings and perform at each other's shows. And I I really like that that's kind of the natural course of things. Yeah, it sounds kind of natural that you've grown as a creative collective to a point where now everyone's starting to, you know, hit their creative strides in and outside of the band. I mean, and some people just, you can see that they've got, I had a former drummer in the very first band that I was in. And he was writing all of these great songs, but they weren't remotely. They weren't the type of songs that were suitable for our act. And I think to begin with, he thought that we just weren't interested and we didn't think that they were good, but we we instantly recognised that he was onto a style. But he didn't really ever have that light bulb moment that you're talking about where he actually thought, oh, I could probably just go and do this by myself and stay in the band and do both. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so obviously you've created a pretty unique environment there because some bands would see the evolution of an individual member as somewhat of a threat either to the collective or as if you're the main songwriter and someone's now excelling in that department beyond where you're at. So it sounds like you're a pretty mature bunch of people. I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, very um, few bands are, you would know that. And that, yeah. that does come with performing together for quite a long time and, you know, most of us write our own music and some of the stuff coming out of it is fantastic, but it, it isn't Northern Folk stuff, you know? So uh, it does make sense that they pursue it. And and like I said, we are all still involved in each other's music. Probably always will be. And that's going to be a, a nice evolution, you know, 
separate to the band, but alongside playing as, as a band still. So, And it's nice for them as individual artists to go back and kind of see, just be reminded what it is to start over because we are lucky. We're kind of still riding a wave of momentum within the band and we have great opportunities, get to play great shows, um, have a good following of people that seem to support us wherever we go. It is easy to forget. It took a lot of work to get that. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> like not everyone does get an opportunity. You, you, do, you do start to take it for granted a little bit, and it's when you get that reminder when you play your own show and you, you're relying on your friends and your family to turn up and you know everyone in the audience and you're getting underpaid and it's at 3 p.m. on a Monday for some reason in yes. a, and the sound guy doesn't turn up. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, guys, I forgot the mixing desk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all those things. It, it's, a, it's a nice leveler, but it's also a good experience to develop in that way and not forget that that is how a lot of people have it and that's what everyone has to go through. Yeah. I'm assuming too that I haven't been in that particular circumstance, but I've been playing in a band with Dan Caulfield, who's a bass player, but he's also the singer of a bunch of metal and hardcore bands. And through that genre of music, he also had the opportunity to basically play bass in some projects some hardcore bands and some tribute bands like 80s and 90s grunge bands and through all of that he basically went from being a good bass player to being a singer who was still interested in bass but his whole mindset around how to approach the bass changed into a more of a songwriting approach more than a technical approach and he came back to the band over that period with better and better and stronger ideas because he was nourishing himself as far as wanting to sing outside of the band. And he was basically came back to us as a pure dedicated bass monster. (laughs) And I'm not sure that he would have, it was being reminded how much hard work was involved to be an excellent vocalist and frontman that he then applied that same mentality back to his bass playing. And he went from here to one of the preeminent bass players around here in that style of music whether it's progressive rock or hard rock or whatever, he's just at a different level. And he was complaining because he always seems to come up in these podcasts, but it just happens. Hey, Dan. <laughs> hey, Dad. <laughs> yeah, and I think sometimes the band can benefit from people having external careers. Like they might pick up skills and talents and refine things that maybe weren't obvious to maybe like someone else in the band that, hey, that person can sing or they can harmonise really well or they can also play the ukulele if I break my... <laughs> finger or something we've got a backup like they're the sorts of things that you can explore outside of a band and yeah and one of the reasons one of the things we've been really lucky for is uh it did start off a bit autocratic on my behalf when the band set up in that i had these songs i was just like right this is how they go and this is the horn part that you're going to play and this is when we're going to do this chord and it was very much delegating the parts to people and over time, we have become more and more collaborative because people have started showing themselves as individual songwriters. And with that comes a confidence within themselves to go, oh, well, actually, maybe let me write, take the horn line on this one. And, you know, little things like that. It's, uh, and you, 10 people write a better song than one person, I think. If they're good songwriters, you, you, the end product of a collaboration is probably 99% better than what one person can achieve. I do agree, as long as that one person doesn't have any 
mixed feelings about the colla- the collaborative nature of the band. And yeah, and yeah. that does happen too. Yeah. When I said mature before, I didn't mean that to be pejorative. I actually see maturity as something that I admire in different bands. Cuz I mean, I used to book a lot of bands and I can tell you that when you see their hotel rooms when they're in their 30s and they're still breaking stuff and spewing on the floor. Yeah, that's when you realize not everyone's grown up, but I think you're right. If you get a bunch of people on the same page and we're all I think part of it and it sounds Hopefully it doesn't sound a little bit woo-woo, but I think if everyone's happy when someone plays a great part or contributes something great that they're excited about it, if everyone's equal is excited for them, that they've come up with some great part or they've taken the song to a different level, that's when you feel like you're a really well-oiled machine and things just feel different. Like I'm assuming that part of it with 10 people that are all hitting their straps at once, that'd be even greater than five or six, I would assume. It is, and that's not, I don't want to discount how difficult it can be and well, well you uh, just you said before james that it was an autocratic thing and you were telling people what to play to be honest mate sometimes bands have to start that way that's essentially how my bands have started mm. i write the song i tell you what i have in my head that's not good enough i want that's not a good enough guitar part or the second guitar i've already written that for you here you go sometimes to get momentum someone has to drive the ship for a bit and there there definitely are still drivers but I don't want to paint, I guess, this glorified picture of what it does mean to, to sit in a room with nine other people and yeah. all disagree on what should happen in this part of the song. Well, if I've been in a room with even just one distracted person in a five-piece, <laughs> that's 20% of distraction. If you've got two or three distracted people for whatever reason or they've had a hard day or... Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it can be slow and it is hard as the songwriter to have to be told that, you know, like someone to go, I don't think... That, that part that you have put in this creative process is how it should be. That is that is tough and it does take maturity, as you said, and uh, it's going in understanding that and expecting that is what has made it work, I guess. And uh, it is a lot of different ideas contributing and maybe five people think one thing and five people think the other thing and how do you make a decision when the vote is even and or like, is it do you just go for the the loudest voice or it is tough and that is why probably for the last three or four years we've been slowly releasing music because it, we put a lot of time and effort into getting it how we want it and and it is a slow process but I mean that's why we still are a 10 piece is because we believe we benefit and yes in the songwriting process but certainly our live performance there's no one that we would take out comfortably we need every member had something yeah, and that's awesome. the sound that you can create with ten people just cannot be replicated, and it is—I mean, it gives us a point of difference. Yeah, and that has benefited us along the way. Come together into one huge moment, or spread out into a massive cornucopia of sounds within the same couple of bars with yeah. that amount of instrumentation. And how many? Obviously, James, you said that you were—I'm assuming you are the, not just the songwriter, but the main vocalist of the band. I'm not. You're not. How, huh. Were you at one point the main vocal? No, the, I mean, the main reason I set up the so band when you, is- So you, when you said you were telling people maybe some of the ideas that wasn't vocal melody related? Yeah, it was vocal and lyrics. I just didn't perform. Okay, <laughs> no, right. So, yeah, I'll probably men- have mentioned it in the intro, but if I don't, I actually haven't seen you guys. You're one of the few bands that I haven't really seen. Well, so, November 30. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, I'll, you'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was performing. I was singing on my own with just with a guitar, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And I knew of better vocalists than me, so I really wanted to employ them. And I felt like maybe 
the main thing that my songs were missing was a better vocal performance. And I, at that time, I was obsessed with harmonies, big group harmonies. I was listening to people like Boy and Bear and Mumford and Sons were were big around the time that we were coming out, and they were so driven by big vocal parts, Fleet Foxes, you know, bands like that that just have almost all the band members sing. Harmonies on harmonies yeah, on harmonies. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's what I wanted, and I just couldn't do that on my own. So Yeah, um, yeah that's difficult. So no, I, I, I mean, I was originally a drummer, but I lived with a drummer, quite a good drummer as well, and because I'd written the songs initially on guitar, I would play the guitar and I'd teach the, the lyrics and the vocals to others, and they would come up with harmonies and I'd give the, the horn parts out. So... Yeah, I have really stood in the shadow of the talent of the people around me um, for six years. Okay. <laughs> and, and I love that. You know, it's it's great. I turn up, I love performing, and I love performing with this group of people. And it's, you know, no matter how simple the songs were initially, they're much more technical and much more well thought out now. But initially, you know, if a song was simple, I could turn to one of the sax players and say, hey, take a solo for three minutes. <laughs> Yeah. And and that there's so much you can do with that, you know. So yeah. particularly in the live environment, that's yeah. just madness. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it's just adding that, like I said, that point of difference. And I can I still play the same three chords, but when you've got someone doing a quite technical and impressive sax solo, and nine people supporting them and building and chopping in and out and um, doing cool band breaks, it's it's. I like to think of it, well, when I set the band up, it was 10 or at that point, 11 simple things all happening at the same time <laughs> yeah. until they okay. took a sax off. <laughs> yeah, right. And then it just went. <laughs> yeah. So I guess just maybe to get us forward in, is there anyone else in the Northern Folk that's actually involved directly in the festival? I'm assuming you said you had a lot of volunteer help. Yeah. But is there any, on basically, is there anyone that's similar to you that's a, a founder or an organiser, promoter? This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. Yeah, so myself and Paul, the male singer, founded it. We'd both independently had a similar idea of holding a music event and it was that drive back from Happy Wanderer that we'd performed and we were, we were driving at some stupid hour on a Monday, like 3 a.m. or something having to work at 8am or just like, you know. Aubrey or Melbourne? Uh, this was when we were in Aubrey. Okay. So yep. this is a number of years ago. This was, two, I'd say 2015, no, 2016. Driving back from this festival, I was teaching, had to teach at 8 o'clock. We'd just come off the high of this amazing festival, had a really good time, really liked what they did. And we were saying, you know, why does Aubrey not have this? Yep. Why does Wangaratta have a jazz festival and Yakandanda has a folk festival and Wondilagong has Swagger and Banala has Happy Wander and El Dorado has FRL and yet Aubrey, which is in the centre of everything around yeah, here, and it's quite a bit bigger, <laughs> has has nothing yeah. um, for for artists to aspire to to get local businesses involved. So really, him and I were the driving forces, and we had people we knew we wanted to work with outside of the uh, music industry, so the venue owner, uh, a guy who ran a food vendor who we knew would get involved. Uh, we had some people who had organized other events in town. We loosely kept the council involved just to let them know what was going on, but tried to work independently from that so we could run things our own way. And yep. so he was a big driver with me in the first year and we bounced all kinds of ideas off the band and our supporters around us, friends of ours, my partner, uh, we'd all been 
going to these festivals together and I, you know, what do you think of this and what, how about this band? And over the second year, unfortunately, Paul had a loss in his family. So, uh, I, it was, I was not in a position to demand the same work out of him for a volunteer festival. None of us make any money, you know, yeah. we just do it because well, we that, love it. That makes complete sense. Um, so yeah, I kind of took it on more last year to give him the space that he deserved, uh, to be with his family. And in his place, uh, some other band members stepped up and everyone within the band has something in particular that they know well. So it might be a sound question. I'll go to our bassist because he's the best with sound and it might be a local business question. And I'll go to our drummer cause he lives in Aubrey and I might have a programming question and I'll ask Alex, our clarinetist, because he's really good at understanding the roles that bands play at different timings. So so when James is saying program, you're talking about lineup program lineup throughout program. the day. Yes, yeah, so sorry, who, I thought you, plays when. there would have been some people out there thinking maybe you're talking about website programming, which, by the way, your website is gorgeous. I've got to put that <laughs> out there you. as a former person that worked in web stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, that's, real, it's pretty schmick. Yeah, that's Kindred who came on first year. That was another local business we worked with, and we are like, hey, we're doing this thing. We want to support you. Yeah, it's great. It looked great. Involved. So it's definitely, it's definitely a band collaboration. I have a very particular way of it all operating and looking. So there are certain things where I just keep to myself and go, this is how it's going to run, much to the annoyance of some other people involved. But yeah. <laughs> as you said, sometimes you do need that. When in a yeah. band and in an event and anything you need, you do. someone has to make a final decision. But I heavily rely on the expertise of the people around me. Just maybe, James, before we talk about specifically what's happening on November 30, cost, acts, et cetera, et cetera. I know I ran a, a festival that was some heavier bands and a couple of punk bands and stuff, and that was partly involved with the council. The issue I had was I made the mistake of putting us on that bill without thinking out the repercussions of how does it actually look, and it might have been the type of genre and the fact that we had really good billing, regardless of whether we should have been in that spot in the lineup. I just did that for the sake of convenience. I want to get it all open and running, then we can play. But it kind of, some of the feedback that I received was, is this just self-gratification for yourself, having your own band on there? Is this for you, your band to play a big gig and not have to fit all the money for it? Or is it about the local music scene? And is that something that you guys had to think through as what are the implications of booking ourselves? It's a really important question and it's a really important th- thought process that we've had to go on through, through for three years because we've played... Every year. Do we keep billing ourselves? Like- <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I'm glad that you bring it up because I don't think enough people do. <laughs> yeah. I think one person once commented and saying, oh, you're playing again when we announced last year's lineup. But apart from that, people seem okay with it, at least publicly. I'm not sure <laughs> privately. Yeah. But it's a huge thing for us to think. And the, th- the, the thing that got us through it was we were so sure about our vision and why we were doing it. And what we... You know, I've talked about it was for the artists, but it was also for the patrons. We wanted a festival that looked good. But one of the biggest things that we had to work out was we're not going to book any headliners. There's going to be a whole lineup of people that you probably have never heard of. And that's a huge risk. But there are there's enough festivals for Peking Duck uh, to play at or, you know, that you, you see those bands that play every festival for a year because Triple J goes through the same bookers and they just they don't need us. Do you mind if I just just table that for one sec? 
for anybody listening that's never really been involved in the music scene, particularly the bigger and bigger festivals get, A, the contracts get outrageous with bands that are coming from agencies, but there's also an expectation on a headliner that you need to book someone that can almost sell out a similar-sized event in their own right. That's why Iron Maiden headlines Soundwave. Soundwave's 50,000 people. Iron Maiden can play 10 to 30,000 people. So you're talking about if you're going to put a headline lineup together, it's not only a massive cost, but the way the marketing works from top to bottom has to be drive the fact you've got a headliner, drive the headliner, drive the headliner, because in the end, that's where the bulk of the pulling power comes is from that act or that group of acts. But the way you seem to have approached it, just to get us back on track, is that you've basically gone for consistency and quality and vibe. Yeah. Of we know if people do come, they're not going to be disappointed with any one of these acts, and they're all they all fit together. Yeah, well, that was, there was a there was a couple of different thought processes we had. So the first was acts that play those festivals where they're headliners. There's no benefit for them coming to our festival. They've never heard of us. We will email them and they'll charge out the window because they don't really want to come. So it's a, it's a put people off price quite yeah, often. Yeah, if yeah. we if we you know if we'll drop fifty grand on them. They'll come and play, but they don't want to be there. They'll just come because we yeah, pay either the does money. manager or their crew yeah. or their sound guys. Or, and yeah. um, there's just it, it wasn't what we wanted to achieve. So we so we did. I mean, early on, and a lot of people advised me against this. But early on, I said no. That's that's not what this that's is about. Pretty brave, mate. It was, most wouldn't. <laughs> I know, and it was a risk, and that was one of the biggest stresses. And it, the first question everyone asks is who is playing, and I have to say, look, you're not going to know any of them, but you'll love them once you see them. That's yeah. the point. The point is we have this, we travel around Australia and we see these amazing artists and we've never heard of them. And why have we never heard of them? Because no one is, they're not getting the same chance. They're just, you know, they're just below this level, I guess you would call it, of exposure. Yeah, that they notoriety level yeah, sort of thing. That, yeah. that they absolutely deserve. Yeah. I mean, these are some of the top musicians in Australia and internationals. You know, this will be the third year in a row we're bringing people from overseas who want to come and play this festival. But yeah, we wanted to give, we wanted to present people who would benefit from that exposure. And that, like you said, that was a big, that was a big risk. Yeah. Well, I can't say I'm, I can't recall anyone that would do that. Well, not in a festival setting, yeah. maybe a one band, one band, like a band room over the course of a day, <laughs> but to go outdoors and for all the logistics. Yeah. And- <laughs> so one of the reasons we brought ourselves on was we needed a name that, locals knew we needed someone at least to say oh i know them i'll come and see them it also and this is how i viewed when i was looking at the lineup although having heard so much about you guys and having an idea of your sound more so than having that was enough for me to piece together the vibe of the festival off one act yeah and it it does it's like People have seen us. They've seen us present other bands. You know, at every event that we've put on, we've featured support acts. And again, we go for bands that no one's ever heard of because we want to give them the opportunity. And people, I think, slowly people started trusting us. So when they see our name attached to something, they'll go, okay, they are some people who are similar enough to the Northern folk and the Northern folk trust that they're going to be good enough for this. And Aubrey does not have natural festival goers. I mean, they, it does, but it doesn't have enough. To we have a capacity of a thousand people. We, there's not a thousand festival goers who will just go to any festival. No. There might not be ten percent of that. 
No. You know, so if we were to get people to come to a festival, it had to be not just a festival, but we also didn't want people who come because they want one band to play. If we put Cold Chisel or someone on or Shannon Knoll on, yeah, that will get people who come for that band and then leave and yep. don't support the other artists. We just wanted to avoid all of that. We wanted to be to say this is a live music event and this is to support artists that you don't know about because you won't unless you, you, you just will never hear of them, unfortunately. And that's, yeah. uh, and it's, so it's a new exposure to new music for the patrons and it's a new crowd for our performers. Okay. And it's, and it's a reason for them to come to Albury because a lot of them don't. That's honestly what, what it is. We might finish up on a question that's just popped into my head relating to that, James, but can we just get the, let's just get the logistics out for people. So November 30, midday to midnight. Yep. Willow, Willow Bank, Willow Bank <laughs> yeah. which is on the end of Shoeback Street. If Shoeback Street, it's, it's essentially at the end of Shoeback yeah, Street. Yeah, instead of turning- It's one of the most well-known in, streets. Instead of going to Doctor's Point, you go right. Yeah. <laughs> and you hug the highway there, and then a lot of people don't realise there's more stuff down there, but there's this amazing farm, and about two kilometres into that farm, you hit the Murray River, and that's where we are. <laughs> Excellent. So there is a map- on the bythebanks.com.au website. There's a link to a map. Yeah, um, it's also map. on our ticketing website. Okay. But right. you just Google Willow Bank. There is a Willow Bank in Queensland that some people have gotten us confused with. Please don't go to that one, yeah, people. <laughs> it is definitely in Albury. Yes. And ticket price? Tickets are $65. 65 That's for adults. Yep. Teenagers are $45. Yep. And so kids 12 and under are free. Excellent. Which we're very yeah, that's cool. Push that. That's very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're available online. Uh, they're a little bit cheaper online if you buy it. You, you can get them on the door traditionally. The last two years anyway. Um, Don't do that to James. Having someone run the door is really complex. Well, there'll be people on the door anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah. if you if you can't get a ticket online and you decide to come in the morning, just just come down. We'll, we'll be there and yeah, we'll find yeah. room. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. So just to finish up today. You said that, and this is just me putting my former booker and band manager hat on for a second. And obviously, with all of your commitments, doing the festival, etc., you probably can't take this role on. But what's the avenue or the platform for the bands that have performed there to re-tour the area? In your mind, you're exposing this area of the world to artists that they're not familiar with, potentially. Most likely not. What's happening from the artist side? How do they capitalise moving forward? Not that they'll probably hear this, but it's just interesting for me more than that. Yeah, and it's another really good question. I, I would put it this way in that imagine, you know, Yak and Dana Folk Festival is in March. Yep. And someone is umming and ahhing about whether to go to Yak Folk Festival. And they see one artist on the bill and they say, oh, we saw them at By the Banks last year. And we really liked them. We're going to go and support them. So we'll go to the whole festival. And that's... More patronage for that festival. Um, it's more exposure for uh, the artist that's playing. And it might just be a conversation that happens side of stage. Hey, you know, we, I saw you by the banks. We came to check you out at this festival as well because we really liked you. Like that is end goal for us. <laughs> that is, you know, that ticks so many boxes. And the flip side is that hopefully people that have the ability to say yes and no in the local folk and indie music scene or whatever whatever bands on stage, whatever genre they fit in particular, that there's yes and no people in the by the Banks audience that can say, well, 
You know how we were thinking about that band, that perfect band for the Yak Festival on the Saturday night? I think we're watching them. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we do when I go to a festival. Yeah. I look at a band and I turn to my partner or another band member and I say, 10 p.m., by the banks, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But people, people who are getting married have approached me being like, you know, do the Northern Folk want to play? It might start through that avenue. I say, no, but hey, you know, you were by the banks. Did you like any of them? And they say, oh, this one band would be really good. So yeah. we've booked bands through that. To private so, events. Yeah, That's to awesome. private events. We've yeah. had a couple of bands come back to the area and, you know, for them, 50 people in a town where no one knows them might be good, but they might get 50 people because- Particularly if you're driving through anyway. Yeah, because a month earlier they played it by the banks and- you know, 50 people who were there saw them and went, yeah, they're great. I'd love to see a sideshow of them. So Excellent. And honestly, that's how I've discovered my favorite artists yeah. is I go around to these festivals. and It's not the same genre, but I was recently telling a story to a mate about the first show that I booked that had Bliss and Esso on the lineup. And it's, such, it's a perfect example of what you're saying, just maybe at a larger scale. They came through town. They had a, one song, I think, at the time on Triple J. They obviously are super talented, and they played the main support at, I think, it might have been called Liquid then, or it was Roybar, one or the other. It might actually have still been Liquid at that time, and Hilltop Hoods played there, who were already quite massive at the time, and they had this support band that just blew everyone away. And then a couple of months later, I was working in the bottle shop at the time, also booking the bands, and I was going to go inside later. We were expecting 100 people to turn up, because we're thinking, oh, they played play with Hilltop Hoods, they've got one song on the radio, that plus that equals about 100 people. So it was $10. They had 430 walk-ups in the first hour. <laughs> they sold all their merch basically out in about two seconds. And it was one of the better hip-hop shows that we ever had there. And they were a phenomenal band. But that simply came from the fact that that band had the tick of approval from Hilltop Hoods that this is the band. Yeah, We could have chosen anybody. We're the biggest hip-hop band in this country. We could have anybody open for us, but it's this band and they're Australian. And that basically flowed on everywhere they went back to for their own tour where they'd actually already played with Hilltop. Obviously, the venues were smaller, but their draw was just massive. Yeah, And that's what can happen if you get the tick of approval. Yeah, and it's like, honestly, with the consumption of music the way it is now, I would say the width of people getting the exposure they should is narrowing more and more because there's so much cross promotion of this just the same bands or the same songs over and over again you'll hear a song on triple j and then all of a sudden it's on every second ad and it's now on commercial radio and it's the closing song of a tv show and you're right it's like we could book we could pay 50 grand and bring an act that everyone knows but what yeah what we're saying is like this is a chance to widen your kind of Palette. range of music. Yeah, come and come and check these bands that we believe will give you a good time. And two years in a row, they have, <laughs> you know. And people have trusted us, and we're doing it again. And and people are coming up saying, "Oh, third year now, you're probably booking some bigger acts." And I have to say, that's not that would be going against what we do this for. Yeah, you know, this, that is it. We don't want those kind of. Uh, Bands where people will turn up, get their short fix, their disappear. And, yeah, yeah. We have if we have we sell a thousand tickets, and nine hundred of those people turn up at seven o'clock, 
to see one band and then leave. It's just not fair on, no. you know, the seven hours of performance before that. So, yeah, And it's also not an experiential thing. The events just, I saw that band play next to a river. Yeah. <laughs> I could have seen them play anywhere at the yeah. time. So, and look, probably 40,000 people in Aubrey want that. And, and, and that's, but we're not the people to give them that. And they, they have a, you know, a day on the green or when Cold Jizzle came or uh, Midnight Oil, I think last year, they, they killed it. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Those people will present that to this area. Yeah. We're doing like what you said, we've given these bands a tick of approval. We're asking locals to trust us, yeah. <laughs> come down and check it out. And, and I guess as someone that is familiar with the sounds and the live shows from having booked those folk bands in the past. People, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, Josh is a prog rock guy. I know him through the music scene. These are bands that thrive live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and potentially part of the reason why a lot of bands maybe in that genre don't have the notoriety for their recorded music is they can't capture the magic of what they do. The Northern folk is the epitome of that. Yeah. How do you record the energy of 10 people on stage? And have everyone and, match up on the day. And, yeah. yeah. And like, it's yeah. we have a uh, the closing band is a 10-piece from three of them are from Aubrey. And we have the opening act on the main stage is a 16-piece jazz orchestra. You know, they how do they capture what you get from seeing a 16-piece jazz orchestra perform <laughs> yes. live? You know, you, you don't get that. And this, it's like, you're right. It's on putting this live event on, we are giving the opportunity for people who thrive in live music settings. Yeah. And we want people to understand the difference, I guess, that live music has so much more to offer. Given that this is my podcast, I'm going to put you on the spot just to finish this off. Go for it. Is there one particular artist that has you, as a, not as a promoter or the head of a big band, but as a just died-in-the-wall music fan, that you're super excited about seeing yourself? This year, it has to be the Maze. The Maze. Originally, the May Trio. They are the epitome of everything you've said in terms of live music, amazing people, uh, travel the world playing their live show. They do record really, really well. I mean, they're very well followed in the folk scene, but they they deserve everything. <laughs> you <laughs> right know, that. and and that's a good word. The and a lot of audience will know them from Yak Folk Festival, and they supported the Northern Folks launch local launch earlier this year and ev everyone who sees them i don't know anyone who doesn't like them they it doesn't matter who you are or what genre when they sing and they're, they're storytellers everyone is captivated so okay yeah excellent yeah right i will link them up we'll link up the festival tickets and all the details thanks james it's been thanks a real so pleasure much. mate it's good yeah. to see you finally face to face so. <laughs> yeah righto punchingsideways.com for all the past episodes and for the people recently that have said Josh, what's the easiest way to get people into the show? They don't want me to fiddle with their phone, which is what I've suggested in the past. Just go to the website and press play on something. Punchingsideways.com, hit play. That's about as easy as it gets. Righto, thanks, and thanks so talk to you soon. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.